to the book right before Hebrews. Trust that uh, may be somewhat familiar where it is, at least in the neighborhood anyway. And when you get to Philemon, it's just one chapter. Turn to verse 10 or get to verse 10. Philemon, chapter 1 and verse 10. I want to be thinking this morning about really an appeal, an appeal to freedom, an appeal to freedom. Philemon, chapter 1 and verse 10, and we, we read this. I appeal to you, my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that, on your behalf, he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be, in effect, by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was, for this reason, separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Let's pray. Father, as has been... Um, said before, we thank you for the beauty of this day and the reminder, the very vivid reminder of who it is that you are and the graciousness that you have extended towards us, especially as seen very clearly in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus. We ask that we might see your Son this morning, to see him in a way that is honoring and befitting the great king that he is. And so we thank you, Father, and we do love you and ask that you would speak directly to us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Well, this uh, 
this book Philemon, it, it's a letter, and it's written more, uh, in a sense, to a family. We get that right in the very beginning. We get the husband of this family, the father, Philemon, and then we, we understand, as history has kind of helped us a, a little bit, that there's a, a mother here, Aphia, and then um, a son, Archippus, or Archippus. But the letter itself is more written to, really, Philemon, because there is a matter in which Paul, the one writing this letter, Paul wishes to address to his fellow brother, and, and he calls him fellow worker, Philemon. And coming down to verse 10, where we began this morning, Paul says, I appeal to you. And I'm appealing to you on behalf of one named Onesimus. Now, we, as we see, as we work through this letter, we see that Onesimus was a slave. He was uh, one who did not have uh, freedom to move about. And, and a slave, back in the day in which this was written, um, that slave had no rights. History also tells us that a slave um, could not have a family. Any child that was born within that slave group, we can't really call it a family, although we would recognize it as such, any slave born within that group would not belong to the mother and father. No, that's how the slaves would, the, the slave population or the staff, if we could use that word, of uh, the master, that's how that could increase, is through the birth of a child into that slave group. It's understood that at one time in Rome, there was as many as one-third the population of Rome were slaves. That number also uh, could be inflated, depending on your source. And the... Um, there was a law bantered about in the Roman Senate at one point where uh, one of the senators said, you know, we should distinguish these slaves. They should dress differently than us. But one of the, um, one of the wiser senators said, I don't think that's a good idea because the other slaves would see how large a group they have and they might rise up and... Uh, seek to take their freedom by force. So let's keep them just as they are. Just as they are. A slave also, uh, more often than not, would not have a name. So this name that we have in this letter from Paul, Onesimus, it, um, it could be his name, but it really also um, was more of a in essence, a play on words. You see, the word Onesimus means useful. And we get that right in the letter, that um, Paul is appealing to Philemon to accept Onesimus back as one who is useful, no longer useless. So why would it be that Onesimus would be useless? 
Well, throughout Scripture, we want to remember that there are really two stories that are taking place here. There's this greater story, there, this continuous narrative. It's God's story. Uh, some might call it the upper story. It's this greater, greater story that God is conveying to really all of humanity, and that is really who it is that he is. But then there is the, the lower story, the lesser story, that story that really pales in comparison to the majesty, the glory, the person of God. And we see that as Onesimus' story. And as we mentioned, that within this epistle, the, the flow of thought, the idea, the main idea here is an appeal. And Paul says to Philemon, I appeal to you. And when we think of this word appeal, it is not this. It is not this. It is not um, an individual standing in front of people or um, standing um, maybe in a more tense uh, situation, kind of nose to nose, like maybe um, a parent to a child. I appeal to you to not act that way. It, it's not that. Instead, and, and it's important that we get the position here of, of Paul to Philemon. It's one of being alongside. It's as if Paul is coming up to Philemon and putting his arm around him and saying, listen, brother, there are some things that are going on here that of, of which you need to be aware. And, and what are those things? Well, right in verse 10, we get this first thing, is that there's this individual Onesimus who has been changed. He is, in essence, he's a new creation. Paul says... Philemon, uh, I've come to know Onesimus, and, and much more, he's changed. He, he has been translated from darkness into light. He, Paul uses this word begotten, whom I have begotten in prison. And when we think of that word begotten, uh, we want to go back to John chapter 3 and, and think about that idea of being born again. It's that kind of similar thought. And it's not so much the, the actual uh, giving of birth or the delivering process. It's more the, the conceiving or the conception, the, the thing that happens in the secret, in the, in the, in the dark place. In the, in the inside, that transformation that's taking place. And so Paul says that I have begotten Onesimus while in prison. Well, why would that be? Well, we, we, Paul tells us that um, he's in prison for the gospel, the good news, that idea that Man is a sinner and cannot save himself. 
But why would Onesimus be in prison? Well, that we don't necessarily know. But we do get the idea that um, Onesimus was not where he needed to be. He was in a different location. He found himself, not as if he was lost, but he found himself in Rome. He had left the oversight of Philemon and family and had taken off to Rome. Now, for a slave to um, forcibly leave, uh, leave his master by, by will, by a force, uh, he would be a, considered a runaway slave or a fugitive. And in order to deter that sort of behavior, because that was greatly frowned upon, when the slave was recaptured, and quite honestly, this was a, a lucrative business, this hunting down fugitive slaves, because oh, they were worth quite a bit of money. And remember, they, um, they had no rights, so they were considered a, a resource, uh, equipment, um, tools. Even though a slave could have been um, more than just a, a, a servant worker, more than just a, a maid or a butler, or a housekeeper, a handyman. Slaves were also um, doctors, lawyers, accountants. And if a slave wanted to, um, if a slave were to be set free, rather than running away, there were ways to go about that. They could earn money to pay the master their price to be set free. They could earn that. A master could also um, uh, gift, as it were, um, for uh, service or um, some, some type of um, good deed that they did, a, a reward, as it were. They could gift their freedom that way. Um, a third way, and perhaps the most interesting, is that a slave could be granted their freedom by their master if it were in the master's best interest. If it were in the master's best interest that the slave would be set free. Now this comes really uh, sharply into focus when we think of a slave as, as a lawyer or an accountant where, uh, again, they, uh, the slave had no rights. And in order to make these um, financial transactions or these legal uh, binding documents, the slave would have to have some authority, some freedom. But as we said, there were some times where the slave would leave on their own will not paying, not being rewarded, not being in the best interest of the master, but just taking off and running away. And when they would be captured, back to the point, when they would be captured, there would be a mark branded on their forehead. And it, were, it would be three letters, F-U-G, uh, fugitas, uh, fugitive. And so other slaves would see, yeah, that didn't end well, and so I should just 
stay in my own lane, mind my business, and be about furthering my master's work. Well, it's understood that Onesimus was a runaway. And um, we do also get the idea, so we work a little bit in the passage here, we get down to verse 18, and it says, but if he, meaning Onesimus, has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, the implication here is that there was money or some property that was taken. Onesimus bundled it up and took off for Rome where he could easily slip in amongst the crowd and, and not be noticed or, or even known, just under the radar. But God has a way of working, does he not? So we see Onesimus here in rebellion. And no doubt the conversation as prisoners are want to have, a way more excellent was explained to Onesimus. That in spite of his rebellion, in spite of his, really his open sin, his willful disobedience, um, the Psalms, uh, David says, keep me back from presumptuous sin. Presumptuous sin. It's that idea of, of, of taking your hand and, and shaking it, shaking it to God and saying, I want what I want when I want it, and I want it now. No doubt, Paul and Onesimus having some conversation about sin and through the work of the Holy Spirit, Onesimus being made aware that um, he was guilty of presumptuous sin. Well, Onesimus' story continues on, and we see the goodness of God, do we not, in, in this idea of redemption. The rebellion, the rebellion being addressed through this idea of redemption, verses 18 and 19. Paul says that, okay, so Onesimus owes you something. He's, he's clearly wronged you in some way, but charge that to my account. I will repay it. We really need to get this. Charge that to my account. It's, it's this great concept of the doctrine of imputation. I, stick with me, all right? We, we, we have an idea of what imputation is, although we don't really necessarily latch on to the word. It's clearly not a word that we use in normal, everyday conversation, not at work in the kitchen at lunchtime. But we know what this idea of imputation is. It, it means to be charged to someone's account. And we see that all the way through scripture. And that's really one of the central ideas of God's upper story. This greater unfolding narrative is that the first man, Adam, he had this willful disobedience this great rebellion. He wanted what he wanted it, and he wanted it now. 
and he sinned against God. And because of one man's sin, Scripture tells us, all are guilty of sin. That sin being imputed, charged to the account of everyone. Ann and I are brand new grandparents. Little James is four months old, five months old maybe. And as precious and beautiful and just fantastic as that little lad is, he's got sin. He was born that way, right? That's, that's the first part of imputation is that, is that when we are born, we are born into sin. But that's not where it ends. You see, this idea of, of being charged to the account continues on. It, 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 it rolls along. And, and when Christ came, he said, I will take that sin. I will pay, charge it to my account. Now, when Christ was on the cross, he, he, he said this phrase, um, it is finished. It's really one word in the original, which, which means paid in full. You might be familiar with that. It's, it's a financial term. It's, a, it's an accounting term. It means that the debt has been paid. That's this idea. That's this idea. And, and then there's this great exchange that happens where we give Christ our sin or Christ takes on our sin, we give it up, he takes it. And in return, he gives to us, we take on his righteousness. Paul is very clear about that in Scripture. It says that Christ became sin. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become his righteousness. That's really this, in a nutshell, this idea of imputation. So Paul says, look, I know Onesimus, I'm, I'm aware of the situation. Charge it to my account. I will repay it. Not just a part of it, but I will repay it in full. That's this idea of redemption, which leads us to reconciliation. Look at verse 17. If you then regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. Regard me as a partner and accept. Really, and, and again, it's, it, it's, it's a visual thing. It's, it's take Onesimus by the hand and bring him in. This word partner, it's the idea of fellowship. It's this idea of fellowship. Have this common union. You now, the two of you now have a common union. Before, it was a transactional union. Onesimus was your employee, your slave, and you were his master. Now your relationship is very, very different. Instead of considering him, viewing him, looking at him as a slave, see him as a brother. 
no longer a slave, more than a slave, Paul says, a brother. And again, the idea is, is, is literally from the same womb. Philemon, you have been begotten, spiritually born again. Onesimus has been begotten, spiritually born again. It's no longer this master-slave construct that's going on here. Now you're co-heirs. You are side by side. You are brothers. You have this, this common union that is Christ. And finally, we want to consider the, that restoration. Verse 15 that you would have him back forever. That you would have him back forever. So the relationship that Philemon and Onesimus would have, it's not just in the natural. It's not just temporary. Now, because of what Christ has done, the relationship that Philemon and Onesimus would have, they would enjoy that forever. They are going to be in heaven together, Paul is saying. That's tremendous. That's absolutely tremendous. Onesimus, Onesimus being spiritually set free. This idea of, of being released, having the, the freedom now, no longer chained, as it were, by his sin, but totally forgiven and set free. So this morning as we close, where, where do we find ourselves? Do we find ourselves in, in a prison? Maybe it's an emotional prison. Maybe it's um, a relational prison. Being held captive by, by the chains of the past. Maybe there's something that... Um, You've wronged in some way, or you feel like you, you can never do anything to repay, to restore that relationship. Well, the Holy Spirit is coming alongside you. That's, that's the beauty of who he is. And he's, in essence, got his arm around you, and he's pointing you, pointing me, to Jesus. In Galatians, Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. No longer a slave, but a brother. Christ has done for us that which we cannot do for ourselves willingly paid that price, taken it on himself. 
said, charge it to my account. I have taken care of the past, Christ said. Jesus would also say, because the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this freedom that has been given to us so graciously, so mercifully through what it is your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has done for us. Father, we want to act as though we are free, not reckless uh, in abandon and uh, total disregard for boundaries. But we want to act in the freedom that comes from you, that true freedom, being released from sin and unrestrained by the things that uh, we ought to be about. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray that, um, that in your speaking to us, we were quick to hear. We thank you, and we do love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.